I just want to start out by saying that sometimes what looks very simple, what looks very obvious, what looks very straightforward, you find out isn't. And I've got a few examples of that. You don't need to, to say anything out loud, but you can kind of answer this in your head. Um, first question for you. So this one looks obvious. How long did the hundred years war last? Answer, 116 years. I'm not making this up, really. I mean, who named that war, right? I don't know. Is there like a war naming committee? I don't know. But they got this one wrong. 116 years from 1337 to 1453. Uh, here's another one. In what country are Panama hats made? Actually, someone shouted the answer out at first service, Bill. They said Ecuador. That's correct. Panama hats are made in Ecuador. How about this one? In what month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Answer, November. Their calendar is 13 days behind our calendar. So November is when Russians celebrate the October Revolution. Um, where do Chinese gooseberries come? My dad's favorite pie is gooseberry pie. Where do Chinese gooseberries come from? New Zealand. Seriously, that's where they come from. And then one final. So, so what's straightforward and simple sometimes isn't that way? Here's another one. Uh, how long was the 30 years war? Come on, guys. 30 years. It ran from 1618 to 1648. So sometimes it really is that simple. Sometimes we overthink things. Sometimes we overcomplicate uh, questions that really are that straightforward, that really are that simple. Like this one time when Jesus was teaching and a religious lawyer came to him because all of these lawyers were gathered around him and they were debating about lawyerly things. By the way, if you're a lawyer, no offense, but lawyers tend not to oversimplify things, tend to complicate things. That's what, if you're really good, you can really mess things up. You know the code so well. You can make things super confusing. And so that's what this, this, these lawyers were doing. They were taking God's law and they were making it so cumbersome and so complicated. And this one sharp lawyer asked, asked Jesus a very good question. This is in a couple of places, but here it is in Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came, heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, asked him, of all of the commandments, by the way, something like 600 plus commandments in the Old Testament, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. This is called the Shema. Um, all the Hebrew folks knew this one. It is here, O Israel, lo, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, he was asked for one, he gave two. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, I have heard of top 10 lists, you know, New York Times bestsellers or TMZ has top 10 this or that, ESPN ranks top 10 quarterbacks of all time, whatever. I've heard of top 10 lists, I've heard of top 5 lists. I don't know that I've ever come across a top 2 list. Jesus gives us the top 2 and it's not coming from TMZ, okay? This is coming from God. The top 2. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And it all started with this simple question of all of the commandments listed in the Bible. What is the most important? And Jesus could have said anything. There's a lot of good stuff in the Bible. There's a lot of noble, righteous, important, wise stuff in the Bible. And he could, he could have said uh, top number one or two, pray all the time. He could have said be holy like God is holy. I mean he could have said a lot of different things. But right off the bat, without even having to think, he knew the top two. God in the flesh. Jesus said, love God with everything you got. And love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, Jesus' words, not mine. These are not the two most important suggestions in the Bible. Jesus says these are the two greatest commandments. They are not optional. All right, They are commandments. And so here it is on your outline. And talk about simple. You knew this before you came to church today, so you're not really learning anything new. But we need to refresh on these all the time because they are so important. The top two on your outline, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you'll allow me to be direct, I think that we have done a good job. I would say we've done a very good job of emphasizing the first one, of prioritizing the first one. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we've mastered that, that we're getting straight A's in that. But as far as emphasizing it, yes, we've done a great job. Maybe not such a great job with that love your neighbor as yourself business. I mean, the first one, I preach about it like every week. We, we sing about loving God every week. We have Bible classes every week. We have small groups and homes where we sit around and we converse about this every week. We, there are college degrees in this, theology degrees in this. Um, so yeah, I think we've done a pretty good job of like prioritizing, emphasizing, studying, talking about conversing about commandment number one, but I think number two, not so much. And Jesus couples them together. Jesus doesn't let us uncement these two commandments from each other. They are both of ultimate value. Now, I'm not going to judge you. I'll just judge myself and confess a little about myself this morning. I think somehow I missed this. I missed this love your neighbor as yourself thing. I, think, I seem to have overlooked the most simple, basic uh, interpretation of this commandment. More about that later, but you may be thinking, I think you're being hard on yourself, Gordon. I mean, come on, I, I think you do okay. And I would say, no, I mean, I haven't done a good job of loving my neighbors. I can't even tell you the names of most of my neighbors. How can I say I love my neighbors when I don't even know their names? Now, a little bit of confession. I've cheated a little bit over the last year. I've learned some names of the neighbors because I knew this was coming, Phil. Uh, we were talking about this, the elders, the ministers, others. We're talking about what would it look like if we were a church that lived this commandment out literally and seriously. We started loving our neighbors. Yes, our actual, actual neighbors, the ones next door, the ones across the street, the ones behind you. But I didn't know. So I've learned a few names, but I knew this was coming, so I've kind of cheated a little bit. But I mean, how can I say I love my neighbors when I don't know their names? Um, how about you? Can you name your neighbors? Do you know something about them? Do you know the family that lives two doors down? The family that lives behind you? And I'll say this. I don't know that this is true. I read this from a good source this week, so it probably is or close to it. But I read that like only 10% of people can actually name their neighbors. 
Not just one set or one person, but this neighbor, this neighbor, this neighbor, this neighbor. Like 10% can do that. And then I read that only like 3% of people can actually say something substantive about those neighbors. Like beyond visible, like uh, that guy uses a wheelchair or she has red hair. I mean, actually say something about their family or about their life. Something meaningful about them. About 3% of people can do that with respect to their neighbors. And I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of this, all right? I'm confessing this morning, but it's changed. I'm getting better at this and it has to change I mean it has to change I call Jesus Lord Jesus says here's the top two hey how are you doing it loving your neighbors well, I don't even know their names I mean it has to change I've got to do better at that that's not optional and speaking of straightforward speaking of obvious how about loving your neighbor meaning loving your actual neighbors I mean, I feel sometimes like in Christendom and even in our church, like we've done a really good job at like the PhD, the doctoral level of loving our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, look at us. We, we send uh, hundreds of people overseas every year, Ghana, Guatemala. Uh, we've got mission works in Greece and Scotland, and we had mission works in China. We've got stuff going on. We are loving people all over the world of different races, of different ages. We're, we're loving people that we may not, uh, for the most part, even actually get to meet in this lifetime here. It's like the PhD, hundreds of thousands of dollars each year from our church budget go into loving these neighbors, these global neighbors. And I say that's great. We don't need to do less of that. We need to do more of that. That's amazing. That's commendable. I love the way that, that Muslim refugees are experiencing the love of God through us in our mission point there in Athens, Greece. I love that stuff. But is it possible... Leading question, by the way. Is it possible to master like the doctoral level of neighboring and flunk out on the elementary level of neighboring? Yeah, it is. And Jesus said this supreme greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I got to figure he, he was actually talking about, among other things, my neighbor. I mean, my, my actual neighbor. Um, now... I think you would agree, most people I talk to agree with this, like things have changed in America over the last 30 or 40 years. Things have changed because like in the old days, which for me is the early 1970s, in the old days, for some of you it's a different decade, like we actually knew our neighbors. How many of you knew your neighbors' names when you were growing up? Yeah, we knew our neighbors back then. I had, we had the Staley's next door. He worked for the sanitation department in my hometown. They were the difficult neighbors. Every, every neighborhood has them. You've got some people who are a little tough to get along with around you, for sure. Then we had Kate and Bob Sensabaugh, this wonderful Catholic family, really sweet people. I would say I was in their house at least once a week, in their yard every day, pretty much. Then down at the end of the street, there was Mrs. Hearn, this widow lady who my mom just loved and doted on and took care of and made sure all of her needs were met. And I, I even remember the way Mrs. Hearn's house smelled. I mean, her house was perfectly neat. Every, I'm sure she got nervous when I came over, right? I mean, but her house was like perfectly neat and just everything was clean and in order. But I knew my neighbors growing up. We loved our neighbors. I, mean, I still remember the sense of Bob's adult daughter. The day Elvis Presley died, 
Like I was a kid, and Elvis Presley died, and this adult daughter was running down the alley behind our house, screaming and wailing, the king is dead! The king is dead! And I had to ask my mom, like, I didn't know we had it. It's Elvis, he's a singer, and apparently she really, really liked Elvis. But we knew our neighbors back then, and something happened, you know? Um, people don't know their neighbors like they used to. Um, and I've heard it attributed to different things. I mean, one, one article I read talked about garage doors and electricity. Like, garage doors have become like the, um, the drawbridge on the castle. We come home and instead of, I guess, raising the drawbridge, we lower the drawbridge and no one can access us. We are, we are safe in our refuge, in our, in our hermetically sealed homes and to do whatever we want to do and not be bothered by the neighbors. Um, so garage doors, I've heard electricity, probably better than that central air. Like in the old days, you like had to sit on the front porch because it got hot. I mean, you had to be on the front porch so you could cool down with some lemonade or iced tea. And the neighbors were on their front porch. And guess what? People started talking and people knew each other. The kids were playing together outside and everything. I would say maybe number three I would add on my list, like Netflix. Um, maybe a placeholder there for the internet. Like now you get into your castle and you have this amazing amount of content like news content and sports content and streaming of shows content all tailor-made to your wants and wishes. And so we just are so happy and comfortable being left alone in our homes at night when we get home. And, and so it's, it really has changed. Um, and the consequences of this change, I don't need to tell you, they're, they're all, there's a spectrum. I mean, there's like really awful consequences and maybe less awful consequences. But I mean, like this week, I'm sure you read on the internet or saw on the news this deal about the Turpin family in California. Wow. Just wow. They kept their 13 kids in captivity for years. There were kids literally shackled to beds. And thankfully, the 17-year-old girl escaped a couple weeks ago, ran to the neighbors and told on her parents, and the police got involved, and they're safe now. But I'm looking at that, and it's not like they lived on, you know, 300 acres out in the middle. I mean, they were in a neighborhood. Have you seen this on TV? Like, there's, there's a house like 30 feet away, this side. And 30. How did people not know? And I'm not wagging my finger or judging. I'm asking an honest, how does that happen? How did we get to this point where we are so unbelievably detached? And then some people will say, well, well thank God I didn't go over there. That, those people were dangerous. Really? Like, if you'd gone over there, they could have been rescued years earlier. I mean, but that's how we think. We've gotten so selfish, and we've gotten so isolated and so detached. But neighboring, the arts of neighboring, you know it's not dead. I mean, we've got people at this church that are way out in front on this. And sometimes you don't even know it until something kind of hits you in the face. But, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were headed to... 
whatever night of the week that was, to James Good's visitation service. And James was this precious member of this church for years and years. And a visitation, if you've never been to a visitation, it's before the funeral, it's come and go. This was like two and a half hours. And small groups of people hugging and a few tears and a little laughter as you share stories and just letting people know you care. And this one was different, though. This was the Super Bowl of visitations. It was like, I mean... I'm trying to think, of, like going to an NFL playoff game. I mean, you could have sold parking at this deal. It was, once you got, there was not a single parking spot at the funeral home. In fact, there were people parking where they really shouldn't have parked. There was no parking next door. We were a block and a half away down a residential street. And some of us were there, a few Preston Crestville people. But mostly, it was all of these neighbors. To get, in, to get in, you had to wait in this long line to get in and hug Vicky, you know. And it was like, wow. I mean, the Farmer's Branch School District where he had worked for years. They love this guy. His actual neighbors from fire. I mean, people love this man. And I was like, this guy obviously was doing some serious loving of the neighbor for a long time. I mean, it was beautiful to see. And, you know, I just think about it. And some folks uh, here, some of you guys are blazing the trail. And we're just going to kind of try to keep up with y'all. But, but the main point this morning as we begin this series that I'm calling Neighborhood Watch. Well, we'll get to the main point in a moment, but speaking of simple and straightforward, we're going to be talking about stuff even a child can do. Check out this video, and I'll share the point with you afterwards. Yeah, so this, on your outline, look, Jesus boils everything in life. It's down to two things. It's all about love. It's about loving God. It's about loving your neighbor. It is that simple. And so two things here this morning. One of them goes like this. I cannot succeed at life if I fail to love. I mean, those are the top two commandments. I can't be a success at life if I fail to love. And the good news here is the other side of that. I can't fail at life. If I learn to love, I can't fail at life if I succeed at loving others. So, here's the upshot of this. You know, like I've mentioned, and you'll hear more about it, I'm sure, in the months to come, weeks to come, but the leadership of this church, really elder initiated, um, just started asking this question 
uh, maybe over a year ago about what if we did this? You know, a novel idea. What if we actually loved our neighbors as ourselves? Well, what would that look like if we left this place, went into our communities, and we were loving our next-door neighbors, our cross-the-street neighbors? What would that, who would that be? What would that look like? How could we do that well? And so a lot of dreams, a lot of prayers started coming out of that. The staff and the elders really kind of united. It felt like this is where God is taking us. Um, surprise, surprise. I mean, this is really important to God. Like, that should shock us that he's taking us here. But we feel like he is, and this is a special moment for our church. And so I, I just asked Phil Jackson, one of our elders, to come and to share a little bit about this and then pray about this as well. Phil. Good morning, Preston Crest. You and I both, every Sunday, when we, when we leave our worship we come to this great graphic that's in our, our foyer over here, passion for God and compassion for people. And as Gordon said, we've done a lot with the passion for God. We spent a year of, of reading through the Bible, reading through God's Word, and we spent a year then in prayer. This year we're writing His Word on our hearts. And so we've made this passion for God very personable for each person. What we haven't done is look at the neighbor issue, all right? Compassion for neighbors. We've done some things. We have, uh, we have the, the uh, world missions, and we have uh, Friends Speak, and we have Cover Dallas with Love. But what are we doing to make it personal for each person to love our neighbors? And so that's where we're starting today and moving forward. And so Gordon is giving a series, and we have in February connections classes on very practical ways uh, to help make this happen and have conversations and, and get this started. As we do uh, this, this neighboring uh, initiative, I think it's, isn't it amazing that in this world when we have so many ways to connect with people that we really have built islands of isolation for ourselves and I think people are craving for true relationships with other people so much so I, I, I read in the the news uh, this past week that England has has a new government position minister of loneliness such an issue right and so I think people are craving for this. But for us, it's rather countercultural. And so, so we're going to follow the king of countercultural, Jesus, who was certainly that way. And he's going to push us out of our comfort zones of our isolation and actually get to know our neighbors. Some of our neighbors will welcome that. Some, some will not. And that's okay. We are, the, the command is to love other people as ourselves, not love them if they love us back. We're loving them without any expectation of anything in return. And then as we build that relationship with people, then we become genuine in their lives. And eventually, right, we have that passion for God. They're going to see that passion for God and ask, where do you get your joy and hope and peace? And we can share our faith with them, not as strangers, but his neighbors who have a good relationship with him. And so here we are building this. I'm, I'm imagining here if, if I am the, the face of Jesus on my street and you're the face of Jesus on your street, 
and in your apartments. Imagine the impact that Preston Crest will have in North Dallas in giving God the glory. Imagine what will happen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you stir the spirit within us to be compassionate to our neighbors. Lord, help us to see the, that you are, are not only commanding or challenging us to this, but this is a calling, Lord, that you are calling us as Preston Crest to go out and to be, to be Jesus to our neighbors, that Jesus went out among the crowds and developed relationships. Lord, help us to do that. Give us the courage to break the, the comforts that we have of isolation and that we would, we would be Jesus to our neighbors, that we would serve them, that we would get to know them, and that, Lord, that we love them so much, we, we want them to join us in eternity with you, that they would enjoy the hope, joy, and peace that only we can get through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm excited. I don't know what's going to happen. I, mean, I know we're going to prepare like crazy. I know we're going, to, we're going to pray like crazy. I know we're going to lean on the Lord. And when you do that, you let him take charge and you see what happens. But I know that we're going to be tied into what he cares about. And that's people, showing compassion for people. And uh, I love that. You know, Jesus really was kind of the ultimate neighbor, if you will. He left his neighborhood, pretty nice neighborhood, and was born in a stable in Bethlehem to come into ours because he wanted to love us. He wanted us to know what God's love looks like. And uh, this morning, you can respond to that. Give your life to Christ. Cross that line of faith. Be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive his presence. You'll see, he said, he'll be with you until the end of the age. He loves you so much. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. However, you need to respond. Do that as we stand together and worship.